The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. And they went unto Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue, and He was teaching. And they were astonished at His teaching, for He had taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him, and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once His fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Alright, so we're in the fourth Sunday of uh, the season of Epiphany. And it's just kind of a surprise, we're already coming to the end of January, the first month of this new year that we didn't think was, I mean, just how fast time flies. We were in Advent just long, short time ago. So we've already come into the fourth week. And sometimes, particularly on our side, it's very easy for us to get caught up in just day by day and forget how it all connects. We can get lost in the moment and forget how we're part of a big picture and a big story. And part of the gift of us as a Lutheran congregation, as a Lutheran church, is we're part of a historic church. And what we do on Sundays, the biggest thing we do is we remember. Really, the emphasis in history wasn't so much about the sermon. It really wasn't about the message. It was about reading God's Word. Remembering what God said to us through His Word. It was about praying to God. It was about receiving the sacraments of God and participating as a faith community. And we lived that together. And we huddled for that, to hear God's Word. And to remember the stories, to remember the stories of the ones who came before us and before them and before them. So we knew how we fit in this picture and that we're not alone. And that God is always with us. He's always been with us. So we remember this annually. We remember the life cycle of Jesus. Remember the life cycle of the church. We are now four weeks into Epiphany. Now this third season of a church year. Okay? And we remember where we've been a little bit, just so we can get caught to where we're at. When we were in Advent, we were thinking about the promises of the Messiah to come. When we're in Advent, we're waiting for Jesus to come. And there were promises made to the Old Testament prophets. I'm going to send you one of the ones we even heard today. There were promises made that this one's going to be special. He's going to have my word. He's going to set my people free. Loaded in this Old Testament with promises of the coming Messiah. All right, so we remembered those in the season of Advent. And then at some point in the season of Advent, Remember that the promises were going to be fulfilled, and they actually were. There was a prophet to precede the one. He's preparing the way. That was John. And so to Mary, this veteran woman married to this veteran man who served as a, as a pastor, as a priest, to them a promise was made. You will have a child. Your barrenness is over. Your curse is over. You are going to conceive and bear a child. And they're like, well, we're like 100 years old. He says, yes, you're not going to talk until it happens, but it's going to happen anyway. So Zechariah was mute. Elizabeth conceived the child, bore the child, and they named him John. We remember that happened, and he was to prepare for Jesus. And then we also remember that there was Mary. The Annunciation, the angels said, today you are going to conceive and bear the Son of God. You're going to have the Holy Spirit's going to descend upon you and fill you, and in your womb there is life. We remember that in the season of Advent. 
We're waiting for the birth, the coming of the Son. And then at Christmas, the nativity of our Lord, He comes. He's born. And we celebrate that. Christmas Eve, what a beautiful night. Um, oh, come all ye faithful, we sing. And silent night, holy night, we sing. And He's born. Finally, a promise is kept. What a good thing that is. And then we have right after that, in those 12 days, remember some of the things about John the Baptist. He's actually now out there getting things ready. He's baptizing in the Jordan. People are coming out to him. He says, you need to confess. Confess how you're sinful. Confess your shame. Confess your, your selfishness. Just confess it all. Confess and repent, which means you turn your back to it and you start facing God. Confess and repent. That's what John was doing until the day we start now epiphany. Jesus' baptism. This year, remember that in that river he stood, the Jordan River, the one they had to cross over on dry land to get to the promised land. In that river he stood, and in that place, the epiphany explodes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one place, one moment, one time for the world to see who is God, a trinity, who is God, Jesus. Who is God? Epiphany. It pops open. It, the revelation. That's what epiphany means. It means the unveiling, the revealing of sorts. The having your mind understand. So on that first Sunday of Epiphany, the baptism of our Lord, then since then we've had Bible lessons where we've been coming to this. We've had um, uh, the first disciples called. Um, we remember some of that this week, but we remember that. We remembered um, in the Epiphany of how he's being, Jesus is showing himself to the world. One of the important things we remembered was last week. The epiphany that we got from last week was not easy, but it was, the big, it was the biggest good news and the biggest ugliness we can possibly imagine. Last week we had Jonah. And in the epiphany of who is God in the Jonah story, we had the Ninevites who were the most evil, darkest, cursed people on the face of the planet. And when they confessed and when they repented, we discovered the epiphany of God's love. That their love, their sin was this big, it was big, but God's love was bigger. Evil did not win. And in this, we find out in the cross later on that evil doesn't win. It's going to be ugly on that Good Friday, but evil doesn't win. There's Easter. And the epiphany of God continues. It's not this who God is in Jesus. It's now how big is God's love? How big is God's capacity to forgive? You add up all of our sins in this room of all the disgusting, sinful, selfish things that we've ever done. You pile them in one pile. They didn't compare to the Ninevites. If God can forgive them, He can forgive us. If God wants to forgive them, He can forgive us. We had that story last week. God's love is bigger. Now, it kind of takes a transition a little bit, but it, it keeps this epiphany story going, what we get today. Today's story, we find out more about His identity of who God is, but not just His identity now. We're going to talk about His authority and the continuation of His purpose Okay, in today's gospel, it's the first miracle. In this, we're in the first chapter of the book of Mark. Mark's fast immediately, immediately. You heard that in today's lesson. Immediately, he started teaching. Immediately, he's in the synagogue. Immediately, there is a an evil spirit. It's a, it's fast. He has his first called disciples. We discovered that God's church is going to include people like us. He called two. He called one brother. He got another brother. He called that brother. He called the other brother. And now he's got four following him. So we're discovering that God is going to work in the church. He's working through us. We're to hear it and we're going to share it. That's how it's going to work in this church. That's been revealed. Now, these guys don't know what we know. Everything that we just reviewed over Advent and Christmas and these first parts of Epiphany, they don't have what we have. They're, they're rookies to this scene. They just got Jesus. They just started their walk. They're now in Capernaum and they're in the synagogue for the first time. That's where they're at. 
And now while they're there, two important things are happening. First one is, Jesus is going to display His, His authority over Scriptures, the Word, the one thing that can keep us true and united. We might have opinions about all kinds of things in the world, but on Scriptures, it's our unifying peace. Who we are, who God is, who we're called to be, and what we share, right? So on this one, it's His authority. What we learn in this one is that Jesus knows Scriptures. When He spoke, it was like He had, he had authority that no one had ever heard of before. He didn't need to decide authorities. One of the things that the Jewish guys at that time were doing is they were teachers. They would say, well, like in my case, well, I learned this from seminary professor Youngdahl. And seminary professor Youngdahl learned it from seminary professor Heinze. And they just go on and on and on so they can cite their source. Jesus didn't cite any of that. He didn't tell you what any of the rest of the world would say. You know, you might say, you don't care. he didn't care whether the, everybody in this room believed something to be true. If it wasn't true, he knew the truth and he spoke it. He did that with an authority that they just didn't get, had never heard. He's the authority. It's because he's God. He's the one that inspired the words to the prophets. He's the one that inspired Moses to write. He's the one that put this, this collection of scriptures together. Of course he knows it. He knows what the intentional wor- the, the initial words were. He didn't worry about translations. This is what I told Jonah to write, for example, and Jonah wrote it. If Jonah didn't write it, he said, well, this is what I wanted to Jonah write, but we got a little lost in translation. Whatever. Jesus knew because he was the word that gave it to him. And he also knew the intentions of it because sometimes it's just not what you say, but what's the intentions of what you said? It's more than just the words. It's, it's what's it for? And Jesus knew those as well. When Jesus spoke about the scriptures, he knew exactly what he's saying because he's the one who wrote it. He knew what it was about and he did so with power and he did so with love. That's the scriptures part. And um, the Pharisees, they were, they were a little bit nervous at this point. So they get this first miracle. He's healing any false teachings, any errant teachings that needs to be done. Because if the word's going to be our guide, you've got to make sure the word's right. Whatever your template is that you're going to be mass-producing everything else on, you need to make sure that that's right. And so this first miracle had to do with the word of God. He was correcting it and he was teaching it correctly and with authority. He's God. He gets to do that. And the second one is the presentation of the word. He is correcting the presentation. If they had the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, he was able to fix that. The first miracle had to do with the word. And as he did so, they knew about his identity. Who's the one that can do that? Who's the one who has the authority to change scriptures? Doesn't matter what they vote in Minneapolis. What does the scripture say? God wrote it. He's the authority, right? So at that point, he is, he's, he, the identity is, well, only the Son of God can do, only God can do this. And he did. Um, they know that he is the Son of God because they heard it. They know he's the Son of God because they see it in him. And there's something else about this. Some, something about Jesus when he's talking that he's deeply and completely good and true. There's a God speaking in Jesus that is communicated and they get it. They see it. They recognize it. It was more than words. It was Jesus. And it was God. They recognize it. They're attracted to it. They're drawn to it. I find it curious how good people are, they attract things. You have someone who smiles and who loves and who's patient and kind and just generous. They're the favorites. People want to be around them. There's a godliness in them that is attractive. 
the grumpy, bitter, mean-hearted, selfish, just, uh, you don't want to be around that. It's repulsive. There's something about God in us that's attractive. Church, that's why we pray so hard that God shines in us because God's using us to draw the world in. We're to be the light to the world. We're to be attractive. On that day, they saw God and they were attracted. Most of them. Not all of them. There was one. Gets to the second part. So we have the cleaning up of the Word and, now we, and the authority of the Word. Now we have the authority in creation. The Son of God, Creator that of, of all that is seen and unseen, when the evil stands up and cries out, what have you to do with us? Absolutely nothing. Be quiet. Leave. Jesus had authority to do that. In this world, if there's an evil yelling out, well, it's just another person yelling evil. Um, be quiet. Well, they're not going to listen to us. I've been in the room with people shouting evil things, and I say be quiet. It just inspires them. They just scream louder. But not Jesus. Not in His church. When the evil stood up and was saying the wrong things in the wrong way and displayed evil, he said, be quiet and leave. And it did. It displays his authority, but that authority now points to his identity. God is being revealed. God is being the real, is the one who will not tolerate that evil in his place. It will be silent and it will be gone. And it will also then lean into his purpose. So all these lessons, when he's correcting the word, it's his identity, it's his authority, and it's his purpose. And now in this next one, it leads, leads us now from the, to the exorcism into more about the purpose. Jesus comes into this with his epiphany to remind us that he is a promise fulfilled, that he has entered the world. God is just not off in a distant. You will see him, you will hear him, you will experience him today where we will commune with him and we will participate in this. We receive the body and blood of Jesus. It's not a distant thing anymore. He is walking with us and in us. He gathers his disciples to follow him and he wants to gather more and more. He's come to seek and to save the lost. He went to the synagogue first to clean it up, but from there he's going to continue his journey seeking people to save people. He wants to set people free. He wants to set them free with the truth in His Word. He wants to set them free from the evils and the lies of the evils. Simple stuff. Profound, powerful stuff. On this day with a handful of His rookie disciples, we read in the Scriptures that Jesus provided an epiphany in a synagogue, much like us. His authority in Scriptures displayed His identity. His authority over His spirits displayed His identity. Both of those displayed his purpose to set people free. And the last thing to say with this, there's a good chance, because you're like me, there's a good chance that things in your life, that there are things in your life that seek to destroy you. There are things in your life that seek to blind you to what God wants to show you, to make your ears not hear what God wants you to hear to doubt what He wants you to believe, that there are things in this world that are just doing that to you. I know that there are chances in this world that you are like me, that you're going to be exposed to the lies of the evil ones. Drink more of this, you'll feel better. Eat more of that, you'll feel better. Spend your money here and you might be happy. 
work harder and you'll get whatever. Satan is trying to put all of the creativity of this world to draw us away from a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. That is his lie. He will break marriages. He will break churches. He will break friendships. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy all that God wants to bring together. That's what we face as a people. That's the adversary. However, we remember on this day in the synagogue, not much different than us, the children of God, like us, huddled together. And on that day, they heard the Son of God speak. And the Son of God displayed His, his love and His truth and His authority and his, his teaching. And He displayed His love and His truth and His authority as He removed the evil. And from there, they knew His purpose. His purpose to is make sure that you and I know from this day forward for the rest of our lives, uncompromising in any way, that the Father God loves us. Absolutely loves us. There is nothing you can do about it. God loves you. Done. So much He would send His Son. Everyone about die, just tell the devil, no. Tell the devil, shut up and leave. If you ever doubt that fact, tell the devil, shut up and leave. It's a spiritual war He wants you to doubt. God loves you. The next thing he wants you to know is that you are forgiven. Revealed in different epiphany moments throughout time, but on this day forgiven. The evil's removed, but not the man. Did you notice that? The evil spirit's gone, but the man was still there. Jesus came to set us free. Not to destroy us. He wants to destroy the evil. So on our part of it, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. If you confess, you're forgiven. Next thing goes on. Now you're embraced by the Holy Spirit. You're baptized. You are baptized. You have been marked with the cross forever. You have received the Holy Spirit. We believe it to be true. You are a child of God. Live like it. Be free. You come here to remember that you're free because the world's going to want to have you distracted from remembering. You come here to celebrate freedom. You come here to let the whole world know of their freedom, that they're loved, they're forgiven, and now they're free. So you can have joy in life. The fullness of life. Not some great little compromised busyness. The fullness. That happened on that day in Capernaum. It was an epiphany for them. It was such a big epiphany for these folks that after their first exposure to Jesus, their first, they went to the surrounding, and they said his fame spread throughout all the region. Oh my gosh, one event, and now he's already blown up. His name's exploded. It's going across all the pages, all the newspapers. These people will not be quieted. They will not be oppressed and intimidated to be still and quiet now. I know what I saw, I know what I heard, and it was the Messiah of God, and they told people, What's our place in this with the church today? Probably a whole lot like that first church. Remember that you're loved by the Father. Remember that you are forgiven by the Son. Remember that the Holy Spirit is in you and He wants to completely fill you with the joy and the fullness of life. And that fourth piece is let the good news known. Let some people around you know. Let your, your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren, grandsons, granddaughters, your nieces, your nephews, anybody that has a pulse know about this God who loves and forgives and wants the best for you. And bring them home. Bring them to this place where they get to hear His Word and share in His supper and celebrate life in a community that will love. 
That's what the first church did on that day. God help us be that church today. Amen.